Genesis 23, continuing, of course, the study in the book of Genesis. We're almost halfway there. Uh, looking at the life of Abraham so far, seeing this great promise of God fulfilled in the previous chapters and that God gave Abraham the promised son that he had told him he would have in Isaac. Uh, And then in chapter 22 last week, studying, of course, this challenge that God lays before Abraham saying, take your son, your only son, take him up to the mountain, sacrifice him on the mountain. And Abraham really gaining this great perspective. Now, we've seen him other times forget the promise of God. We've seen that throughout this book, that people would often forget the promises of God and then take matters into their own hands. We've seen Abraham do that a few times. But in chapter 22, he's a a different man, not the same Abraham as before, and he did not just try to take matters into his own hands, but rather he walked by faith and he took his son and God spared his son and God used this as a very momentous occasion in Abraham's life that he would be impacted truly forever from this point on. And, and that's what we see is really a, um, a springboard or a foundation of this chapter 22 being a foundation for Uh, for his life of just um, being a man of faith. And then from there, we get into chapter 23, and we get to see him have an eternal perspective because of the experience he had with God in chapter 22. God showed up. In the midst of the most harsh circumstance, in the midst of the most difficult circumstance of sacrificing his only son that God promised him, God showed up and spared him. And so after experiencing that, the fulfillment of the promise and God himself showing up on the mountain to spare Isaac, we see then Abraham able to withstand a very difficult circumstance coming in that his wife dies. In chapter 23 of Genesis, verse one, it says... Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. This chapter is going to give us a look at the funeral arrangements for Sarah, Abraham's wife. Sarah, it says, lived 127 years. And Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age at death was recorded. It's biblical. Don't ask a woman her age, right? Goes back to, Sarah's the only one. And the only one noted that it's 127 years of this faithful woman. And, And she is a very highly regarded woman in the Bible. She is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And there are not many women spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11, but she is. She's spoken of as a woman of faith. She is spoken of as a woman of example. Isaiah chapter 51 says this, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. 
Isaiah is writing this to say, look to him. Uh, Look to him, Abraham, but look to her, Sarah. Not just the father of faith, as the Jews looked to Abraham, but the mother of faith and Sarah. Look to her, meaning she is an example, and she should be looked to as such. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now this was accounted, this was submission for Sarah, and it was accounted to her as faith. And we, we talked about submission when we studied in First Peter not that long ago. In the life of Sarah, that it was a demonstration for her of faith to submit to her husband, even though he was leading her astray at times in lying to Pharaoh, lying again to Melchizedek. And, and this situation for, not, not Melchizedek, sorry, Abimelech. <laughs> you could get those names mixed up very easily. Um, but, uh, you know, lying to these kings, lying to these leaders and leading his wife in that, but yet she submitted and she adorned herself in this meekness, in this lowliness. And that was accounted to her as faith. You know, submission to her husband was submission to God. That's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to submit to anyone in any circumstance, but it's certainly not easy to submit to someone who is leading in a bad example like Abraham was, but yet she did, and so that's accounted to her as faith. And so we are told to follow, or you know, women specifically told to follow the example of Sarah. And we are told to look to the example of Sarah as a mother in the faith. She lived 127 years. And so Sarah, verse 2, died in Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. Abraham is in this place of grief. And now this is something that I would imagine at this point everybody has experienced at one point or another. Grief is a difficult thing to handle. The mourning process or the grieving process is very, very complicated and it comes over many things in life. Whether it is like Abraham, the loss of someone who is so dear to us, Or it could be something else that you've walked through, a difficulty in life. But Abraham came to mourn his wife. He came to mourn Sarah, and in that there is weeping. Weeping is part of grieving. And that's, you know, sometimes we get mad at ourselves, right? When we're going through the mourning process or the grieving process, we get upset with ourselves thinking, I should be okay. I should be able to handle this. Maybe it's been a certain amount of time and we think, I should be okay. And and the, the weeping continues, perhaps. 
But it's a normal part of the process. And, and what we see here in the translation indicates to us that Abraham went through all the functions of grieving. That's what it indicates. And so it's not just like, you know, Abraham had to make arrangements for his wife's burial. He had to make arrangements for his wife's funeral. Yes, that is a normal part of the process. But the suffering, the pain, and the mourning, and the weeping was a normal part of the process for even the great man of faith that Abraham was. And so we don't have to look at ourselves if we're suffering and we're struggling and we may be weeping to say, what am I doing? Is it a lack of faith? You know what? I don't think so. Even Jesus wept over unbelief. Jesus wept over the sting of death. And now here we see this great man of faith weeping not just over the death of his wife, but weeping over even the implications of death, the sting of death, the pain of death, because it all comes from sin. And we, we studied that back in the beginning of Genesis, that death comes from sin. Grieving is really hard to go through. Grieving is really hard to figure out for ourselves, let alone for someone else. But we need to be, first of all, gracious to ourselves. As Abraham walked through this and understanding his own suffering, he was able to do it because he had a heavenly perspective. And that's what we're gonna get into this entire chapter, really, in an understanding of Abraham's perspective. And as he walked through this great mourning and suffering, there's significance to the place here of Canaan and the place of even Hebron and these being a place of, uh, of fellowship, this being a place that they were brought near to God, that Abraham, was, he came to this place of being brought near to God in fellowship in this time of suffering. But they were together for so long, for over 60 years, they wandered throughout the promised land together as pilgrims. There's that journey that they went on through the promised land. It's not, you know, it's when you journey like they journeyed, when you go through the things that they've gone through, there's even greater bonding in those things. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, you know, once in a while I get opportunity to travel with my wife, and those are special experiences, right? I mean, you, you, you get a special experience when you go see the world together, even with your kids, too. They're okay. We bring them along uh, once in a while. But there's a special opportunity when I can get away with my wife. And we can, we can be sojourners a bit. We can be travelers. We can be strangers. And we can show up in a foreign land and enjoy the experience of learning that place and, and learning the culture and, and seeing the sights. And there's something that bonds you together. And there's so many different little trips that we've been on that they're so special in that way. This was Abraham and Sarah's life being bound together in their sojourning, in their pilgrimage. They didn't have anywhere that they called home, so they're just like, hey, we've got each other. I mean, that's the reality. 
as they went from putting their tents in one place or another or wandering about throughout the promised land, they had each other. And that just gives us a little more of the understanding of the hurt that Abraham would be going through. Sarah was a faithful woman. Sarah was a submissive wife. As we said, 1 Peter tells us, it was a credit to her as faith and submission to her husband, even in his foolishness, was submission to God. So Abraham, he grieved, but he did not grieve without hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says that. We do not sorrow as those who are without hope. And that's what we see Abraham gaining throughout this chapter and really throughout his life is hope. And faith, hope, and love, we've heard those put together because Paul puts them together, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he puts these things together and we see this faith, hope, and love being put together because they go together like peanut butter and jelly, right? I mean, you have faith and hope that is just supposed to be together because when we have faith, we have hope. When we understand hope, we have faith. We walk by faith. And Abraham, through his life, being this great man of faith, the father of faith, is gaining a perspective of hope throughout his life. And now here, he does not sorrow as one who has no hope, which means he has great hope. He has great hope in heaven, in a perspective of eternity. In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us in verses 8 to 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That is not talking about the promised land. The builder and maker is God. It's talking about eternity. And he lived in a land that God promised him. And that's the significance of this chapter that we're going to see unfold here. He lived in a land that God promised him as a foreigner. That was his land. But he dwelt as a foreigner. Why? Why would he do that? Because he knew that his home was heaven. And how could he get through the pain and the suffering of the loss of his wife for so many years? They'd been through everything together. They were partners in crime sometimes even, right? They've been through so much suffering and difficulty and great steps of faith. And how did he do it? Hope. And hope. And Romans tells us, does not disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint, not because of the things of this world. Hope does not disappoint because of our perspective of eternity, that we would set our mind on things above. It, it's much of the same message we've, we've been going through in Ephesians this last Sunday. Uh, we talked of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. 
And it's the same idea here. If we talk about spiritual blessings and the origin of spiritual blessings is the heavenly places, the origin of hope is the heavenly places. So therefore, the origin of faith is the heavenly places. And that's the perspective we need to continue in eternity, heaven. And Abraham could walk and live out his life as a sojourner, as a foreigner in his promised land. He didn't show up saying, this is mine, get out. Later on, we see he actually purchases land to be able to bury his wife, but it's his land that God promised him because it wasn't his. He didn't look at it as his. He was not possessive over it because he sought after eternity. Abraham's perspective was heaven. And his faith is demonstrated in how he grieved his wife. Yes, he wept, but he had hope. He had a heavenly perspective. And would our faith be demonstrated through our suffering? Would our faith be demonstrated through the grieving process? And that we would have the perspective of eternity. As Abraham grieved, he grieved not just with sorrow and tears and hope, but he also remembered, verse three, then Abraham stood up from before his, before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. We'll stop there for a moment. Abraham he briefly just shares who he is. He shares his story in simply saying, I am a foreigner. I am a pilgrim among you. I'm a visitor. I'm a sojourner among you. That's telling his story. That's sharing his testimony of who he is, of where he came from, and of his wife that partnered with him through the sojourning, through the pilgrimage in the promised land. It's who he is. It's where he came from. How he journeyed with his wife. The death of a loved one would often cause reflection of who we are, where we came from, of the experiences of the journey of life. And that's what Abraham's doing. I am a stranger that's what he's telling them. I am a stranger among you. I'm a pilgrim passing through. And it's not just because he was a, a foreigner to that specific land. Because God had already given him that land. But he considered himself a pilgrim passing through this world. It wasn't about the land. Other times in Abraham's life, it was about the land. It was about influence. It was about control over his situation or the promise that God had set before him and thinking that he's gonna take those matters into his hands and he's going to work out a way to fulfill the promise for himself. But now he's totally off of the idea of the, the physical 
promise and understanding that the promise is all about eternity. It's all about heaven. He recognized his home to be heaven. And God had already given him this land, but he considered himself just passing through. And so the response here, they say to him, he says, give me property for, burial, for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the closest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. The first response, well, he says to them, give me a place. Now, he's not just saying, give me a place for free. This is a common type of interaction to say, do you have a place? Is there a place? And, And he's even asking for the lowest of places. Remember, Abraham, this is his land promised by God. And he's not coming and showing up and claiming it, you know, putting, putting a flag on the ground saying, this is mine, move along, I'm going to bury my wife wherever I please, and I'm going to claim this as my, my, my tomb of, of this patriarch family. And he says, hey, give me a place far away. Do you have anything for me? And interesting that their perspective is, thou art mighty prince. That's their perspective of Abraham. A great honor to Abraham, which he did not strive for. He never sought after the honor. And it's interesting too that no one else got the honor that Abraham got from the foreigners. It's even, in a sense, a recognition of the promise of God from the world to look at Abraham and say, you're mighty among us. I think of Lot. Lot who sought after the power and the influence. He sought after the land, the real estate. He even became one of the community leaders in Sodom as we studied that, if you remember. He got mixed up in the affairs of the world. But Abraham never mixed himself up here with the affairs of the world. He was too busy seeking after God. Yes, he had his moments of of forgetting the promise and trying to figure out the promise of God, but he didn't mix himself up with the affairs of this world as Lot did, yet Lot was seeking after the honor from the world. Abraham was not... And now here they are honoring him. Verse seven or verse six, what they do then is they offer him the nearest and the best burial place. Verse seven, then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish and I bury my, that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. So we see he's preparing. This is all part of, a regular part of the process. There's the grieving, 
there's the burial. There's the funeral arrangements that need to take place. Imagine all that's going on here. It's not an easy time for Abraham, but yet he's going through the process, and he's, as he's being honored, he also would honor the custom of that day. And Sarah's grave it is a significant place because it is the only actual piece of real estate that Abraham would own. Even though God had promised him this land, and this is his land according to God, he does not try to take the possession of it. He goes about it in a normal way that anybody would do business. And he asks for this land in a lowly place, ultimately. That was his, his approach was to be humble and courteous. Abraham's effort in life wasn't about building his future or possessing more real estate, but rather getting to know God. It was common even that before the, the family members would die that the plot of land would be purchased. The plot of land would be prepared for the whole family. Like this is the place. We practice this still in our culture today. Maybe some of you have done that. You've been like, yeah, we've got our plot of land. Abraham didn't have the plot of land. His wife is now dead. He's got to get the plot of land. But he hadn't stored up, he hadn't saved up for this burial because he was too busy storing up for eternity. Abraham's approach, as I said, he says, in verse seven, then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land. What a humble approach. And as he spoke, he says, if, if it is your will, if it is it, not my will, it's not about my influence, it's not about what I want, it's, he never brings up to them that this is the land that God promised me. Get out of the way. But yet he operates in humility as he bows down and he says, if it is your wish. He's setting a great example of how to deal with the world. And he has learned from experience, no doubt, because he's dealt with the world in selfishness before. But now he's dealing with the world in humility. It's very different from other times of his interactions. He's not putting himself first, but this is a different Abraham now. Transformed by the work of God, a man of faith, walking by faith and keeping his eyes fixed on the promise of God. And as he does keep his eyes fixed on the promise of God, he walks in humility. It takes great faith to walk in humility. Because walking in humility is having confidence not in ourselves, not in our power, our strength, or our possessions but having confidence in God alone. There's a humble approach to just saying, not my will, but your will. There's a humble approach even within the interactions in the world that we could win battles over, we can win people in humility. We may not win arguments, right? Humility doesn't often win arguments, but it wins relationships. It wins people. 
and we're often trying to prove a point. I mean, I, I, if I were in Abraham's shoes, I would honestly show up and be like, this is my land. And people literally, in your, I mean, neighbors get in these unbelievable disputes over inches sometimes, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, 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 you put your shrubs too far. Move it, move it. You did, go, dig it up right now, move your shrubs. It's a major issue. I mean, land is literally what has caused several wars throughout history. And it still is, exactly. And, and here is Abraham, who doesn't come in ready to do battle, but says, hey, if it's okay with you, do you have anything for me? If, if, if you wish that I could bury my dead, if I could get a piece of land somewhere, just anything is okay. That's his perspective. But yet we would easily get caught up in the argument, not walking in humility, but he wins in humility. Humility and respect for others is very disarming. Humility is a social asset, right? I mean, you want to talk about the economy of this world. Humble yourself. People don't know what to do with it. What? Admit you're flawed. I mean, people often look at the church and say, oh, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. You're like, yeah. But we have Jesus. Yeah. But I'm redeemed. I'm sanctified. And I have that relationship with Jesus that will continue to transform me until I see him face to face. And it's a humble approach that wins people. Humility being a social asset, even more so, it's a spiritual asset. Because it's honoring to God. Because it's putting not just others first, it's putting God first. And it's putting ourselves in a lower place. It's humility, for Abraham, it's humility in even the way that he conducts his business here. This is a, a business interaction. Purchasing land to bury his dead is a business interaction. And it's difficult to have to take care of business such as this when he just lost his wife. But he was faithful. Abraham was faithful in his humility. He was faithful to the custom. In, in, in these verses here, 8 and 9, as we read he states his case. Look, this is the situation. This is what I need to do. I need to bury my dead if it's okay with you. And then he can, we continue in verse 10 of, of what the business transaction would look like. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. 
I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. Now, this is almost a script of how things would go down. This is not just like a, wow, this is unusual. Somebody would offer to, why would Ephron, he's offering to give this land to Abraham. And then why wouldn't Abraham take it? Because the custom was, this is how it goes down. There would be an offering to say, no, no, I give you the land. And then he says, no, no, I'll pay for the land. And that would begin the bargaining process. The haggling of a price. This is how it goes. This was according to custom. Now remember, Abraham just lost his wife. The nearest and dearest person to him. I I mentioned in the beginning here, guys, about the marriage seminar and how marriage is the most valuable, most important earthly relationship that we have. And Abraham just lost that person. And now he's paying attention to even their custom, the custom of that day. And he's in that, he's giving honor to them. And God honors him for it. As he's faithful in the, the custom, the, the, there would be this offer, here's the property, the response of the buyer, no. I won't take the property, let me pay you for the property. And then, they would, then it would go further from there and the the seller of the property would then say, okay, here's the price. And it's a fair price. And then the other person would say, it's not a fair price. And they keep going back and forth and back and forth. That is normal. Now, I don't know any of you have been to Israel with us. This still goes on. You go and you're like buying a little piece of jewelry or you know, a souvenir in a gift shop in, in the, you know, the Jewish quarter and what happens? They come out, look, oh, a special deal for you. What? What's, what's the special deal? Oh, it's practically free. I've heard people say this. Oh, I want you to have this. No, no you, you want me to have it for a price. I understand, you know. And then you go back and forth, and some of you guys have been there with us, and it's quite an interactive process here. And you know, it starts here, and you're like, that's definitely not worth that much. And you go here, and, and you're here, and they're, no, 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 it's a good deal, special deal, because you're American, you know? <clears throat> I actually had a guy one time say, I'm like, how much is that? It's special, it's $20, special deal for you, you're American, $19.99. <sighs> wow, that's great. I think I just walked away. But this is the custom. And Abraham showed respect to the custom. And he, he didn't even haggle the price at this point. And continue in verse 15, or verse 14, and Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. This is where you get to, he, he 
He paid attention to the custom, but this is where you see the brokenness of Abraham to just say, yeah, I don't don't have the effort. When things are so difficult, sometimes you just come to that place. You know what? Yeah, here's the price. That's fine. And you know what? He overpaid. That's the custom. When they made a price, if it's the first price and you take the first price, you overpaid. Like if you go to buy a car and they say, here's the price, you're like, sounds good. Where do I sign? We don't do that. But you know what? When we're in those vulnerable places and we're in those difficult times, sometimes we're like, you know what? It's fine. But it's interesting, again, to note that this land belonged to Abraham. And yet he paid an unfair price for that land to bury his dead. We have this foreshadowing. Throughout the life of Abraham, we have a foreshadowing of Christ. He didn't have to pay for the land. It was his. He certainly didn't have to pay full price for the land. But yet he did. There was a complete satisfaction. Christ completely satisfied the wrath of God. And because of his great love for us, he paid. He paid with his life. He paid that price for us to have a relationship with him. He didn't have to. We were not deserving of that. He didn't have to do it. But he wanted to. He freely gave because that's what would satisfy the wrath of God. That's what would bring redemption. So Abraham, he just accepted that price even though he was grieving. And you know what? what? Honestly, the grieving process, sometimes we use as an excuse to lash out, right? He could, at that point, be like, you know what? Enough with you guys. Don't you understand I'm hurting? Don't you understand I'm just trying to bury my dead? But this land, verse 17 So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field which were within all the surrounding borders were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. The land was deeded to Abraham. The land that was already his was deeded to him. He bought the land that he did not need to buy. And it's emphasizing, of course, again, the faith of Abraham that he was not attached to the temporary and physical things. He had his eyes set on the eternal promise not just the promised land, 
That was a great promise, the promised land. You know what? There's going to be a continual battle over the promised land throughout the Bible and still to this day, throughout all of history, everything is focused on the promised land and this battle over the promised land. Abraham, he wasn't concerned about the promised land because he was concerned about the promise of eternity and living for eternity. And so verse 19, Abraham, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. He buried his wife. Eventually, Abraham would be buried in the same place. This would become the great tomb of the patriarchs. Abraham faced life's difficulties. Abraham faced testing, knowing that although God's promises seem to come slowly, they are settled in heaven. And they are settled by Jesus. That's what we need to remember. The promises of God are in him, in Christ, yes, and in him, amen. Settled in heaven. Outside of our time and space, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. It's all settled in heaven. It's not settled here on earth. And so this transaction that Abraham had, it wasn't, he didn't have to worry about the settlement between the, the two of them to say, well, no, I'm gonna haggle that price and I'm gonna get it down lower and I'm gonna get a good deal because it didn't matter. Eternity is what matters. Living for eternity is what matters. And grieving with the perspective of eternity is so important. Death is the worst thing that happens to us. Not for us, but death of the people around us is the worst thing that we experience in this life. Because sin brought death, and sin is the absolute worst thing. And we can look around us and we can question why. Why is there so much death? Why is there so much suffering? Because of sin. And as death is the worst thing that happens, how do we grieve properly? Abraham gives us a great example of how to grieve well. It didn't mean he didn't weep. It didn't mean that he didn't have a hard time. It didn't mean that he even just threw up his hands a little bit and said, I'll pay what I have to pay. I'm not gonna fight that battle. He still went through all of the things, all of the process. He still had to bury his dead. But he had a great perspective of eternity. Ephron, interestingly, never intended to give the land to Abraham. 
but that didn't matter. Abraham knew it. It didn't matter. He might, you might even think in that moment, he's, he's offering to give it to me. This is my land. I should just take it, right? It's a good idea. This is how it's going to work out. Even forgetting perhaps God's promise and God's way and thinking this is a further fulfillment of the promise. He's going to give me the land that's rightfully mine. But he didn't go there. Ephron saying repeatedly, I give, I give, I give. To show and to demonstrate his power, his authority, and saying, I give to you. This is how it's going to go down. I give. He was never intending to give because that's how the world gives. But Jesus in John 14 said, not as the world gives do I give. In my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus is talking about heaven in John chapter 14. Abraham had a perspective of heaven, not of his promised land, but of the eternal promise, as we read in Hebrews. Jesus, when he said, not as the world gives do I give, it is a direct address to the culture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to haggle a price. I'm giving you a gift, a real gift. And this chapter, as I said before, is much like our study in Ephesians from Sunday. It's pointing us to the heavenly places. The death of any believer should do exactly that. It should point us to the heavenly places. When we grieve, it's normal. We remember the life of the loved ones who walked with God. And that should set our eyes on heaven. If we can't see heaven through the death of his saints, precious in the sight of the Lord are the deaths of, death of his saints. If we can't see heaven through that, then that's on us. That's a perspective change that we need, like Abraham. And what does that take? It takes faith. Walking by faith and not by sight. With our eyes fixed on eternity. And now, yes, death is the worst thing that we have to handle and experience in this life. The, the, the death of loved ones, the death of people around us, the sting of death. But we don't have to lose. We don't have to be overcome by it. And even though death is the worst thing, yes, there's so much other suffering, but we can have the same perspective in all of the suffering that we go through. It's all been brought on by the same thing, which is sin. But we need that heavenly perspective. We need to fix our eyes on eternity and not get caught up in what we think we're owed and what we think is ours because that's easy. We think that we deserve all these different things in life, but we don't. We don't deserve any of it. The wages of sin is 
death. Thank you. Good job. Wow. You guys are good. Took a second, but you got it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we deserve. And Abraham understood that many years before even Christ would come. He didn't think that, well, I deserve this land or I even deserve it at a discount. There was no discount. He didn't need it because he looked and he saw the heavenly places. And I'll remind us again with this. Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. Really, it's verse 10. But by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham was waiting for. He wasn't waiting for a fulfillment of this promised land in front of him. He was waiting for the promise of eternity, for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Give us a heavenly perspective. Give us eyes to see the eternal things Let us understand your grace. Let us walk in humility. To know that we are unworthy, but yet you pour out love, you pour out grace. You bought us with a price. I'm so thankful. We look to you and we glorify you. We glorify the name of Jesus. Lead us in your ways. It's in your name. Amen. Amen.